Hey, go ahead. If you have your Bibles, grab them. You can turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to go Ephesians chapter 5 today. If it's your first time and you have a device or use your phone, we're all good with that as well. Um, we use the ESV version, so um, you can go to the U version of that and click on ESV and you'll be following right along like it's nobody's business. Um, in 2 Timothy 4, uh, ch- uh, chapter 4, verse 2, uh, Paul exhorts Timothy, who is, uh, who is his mentor, who is his student, and he says, preach the word. He said, do it in season and out of season. What we're going to be dealing with this morning is clearly some things that are very out of season and out of touch with the larger culture that we find ourselves in. And man, my hope um, is to be just an encouraging voice this morning uh, as we unpack a culturally unsettling word called Submit that the Bible uses not, again, as a substitute for oppression, but that has been instituted by God as a framework for wives to live out their role in marriage. So that's what we're going to be covering this morning. And again, my job is that, I, man, I, man I, I cannot worry about whether you women are going to like bum rush the stage while, while we're going through this, um, but to preach the text and then just pray that God increases all of our desires to submit to him as he shapes our hearts to be more like Christ, who modeled for us submission uh, like no other person. And besides, Melissa is ready to literally fight any of you ladies that would want to come up here and do that. I'm just laying that out there right now. But let's, uh, let's go before the Lord right now and pray. God, we come before you this morning and ask that you would soften our hearts and open our eyes to the beautiful example of Christ's submissiveness toward you so that this truth would be established in our hearts by the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. Well, hey, let me acknowledge some things right off the top before we uh, start into our second week through our series called Redefining Marriage. Again, man, that sign is just insane right there. And I, every time I look at it, I just think, man, I want to hang this up in my room when we're done with this, uh, with this series. I don't know if my wife would, would like that, but I think it would look good. But let me acknowledge a few things as we are diving into this, um, in that this is a hard text for women. Um, this is something that is not easy, easily just sort of grappled with and grasped in our culture today. And given the background that many of us have come up through over the last 50 years, and by the way, it's a hard text for men as well. Um, we talk about wives submitting to husbands. Most men aren't just like walking forward and raising their hands and standing and saying, yeah, that, do that. Like, I'm going I'm I'm to you know, hold the flag up that says submit. You know, there is a cultural uncomfortableness for us as men, too, as we uh, lead into this text and see what God has to say about it. But I want to acknowledge that some of you may really clinch up inside when you hear the word Submit. Some of you women may, may get tight inside because of past experiences that you may have had with domineering and abusive examples in your life, domineering husbands or, or fathers, for example. So let me just say that God is not blind, nor is God insensitive to the ways that his word has been neglected or abused by men in your life that may have resulted in either physical, mental, or emotional pain. And in fact, there is an abundance of grace and kindness available for you from our Heavenly Father who can restore dignity, hope, and healing where it may be lacking due to a wrongful interpretation and application of this particular passage in your life. So 
Having said that, it's okay for us to wrestle with this text. It's okay to wrestle with a text that can feel for us incredibly countercultural, that at first glance even feels demeaning for us, and maybe even put the Bible into question as sexist and outdated. Like, what's next, Ronnie? You know, uh, women shouldn't vote, you know, anymore. Like, is that where this is leading us to? Is it taking us into the past? So it's okay for us to come at this wrestling with it, allowing God to soften our hearts and do some reinterpretive work in them. Here's what's not okay as we come into passages like this. It's not okay to dismiss it because of past experience with husbands, fathers, churches, or because society would tell you that this is an outrageous expectation for women in the year 2017. We want to let God's word, not Western culture, lead us into what's true, even if at first, and we don't understand what God was thinking when he commanded it. What we know about God is that God only commands what is most good for us and most glory-filled for himself. And what we want to be in the habit of doing is questioning our resistance and our apathy to those things, which really are one and the same because those lead to a refusal to acknowledge and to conform ourselves to the text. I remember when uh, our daughter, Bethy, man, I, I remember this one moment she had with, uh, with Melissa where, uh, again, I think she was, was she about three years old, right? She's sick, and uh, it's time to give her the orange berry medicine. And uh, there was no orange berry medicine left, so uh, all that we had in the cab, the cabinet, was uh, some of that cherry medicine, which if you've ever tasted any cherry medicine, it tastes like it was made like in a toxic chemical plant, right? Um, so we give Bethy the cherry medicine, we put it in her mouth, and she stands there, cracks open her bottom lip, and just lets it all run down the front of her dress, all the way down onto the floor. Now, I'm not going to lie, like, Melissa was not stoked about that, about that, about that little exchange that, that happened. But what was really happening in there was we had a daughter that needed something but was resistant to it. And so that, that's where we find ourselves sometimes when we come to God's Word and we are confronted with texts that on first glance, upon first reading, they, they feel uncomfortable, they feel strange to us, they don't vibe with what we're being uh, shoveled into our brains from our culture that says, man, we need to stand up for ourselves, we need to look out for number one, this is all about fulfilling my needs and desires. And we learned last week that in regards to marriage, man, that's entirely not what God had designed and what he ordered during the time that he created marriage, that he created Adam and Eve, and he put this rightful order of the household in place. So as we go back and review, there were three things that we learned about that last week as we kicked off our series. Uh, the first one was that since Adam and Eve, we haven't really redefined marriage like we sometimes say and think, but we've actually misdefined marriage. And what we actually need to do is always be redefining marriage according to God's word. So that's a practice that we want to put in place as the church body. We want to just continue to redefine what God has called us to in regards to marriage. Secondly, in the garden, what we saw was that God served Adam through grace and kindness. He served Adam by seeing that Adam was lacking something that he needed. And then we saw that after he created Adam and after he uh, after he created Eve for Adam, Adam served Eve. And the result of that was that they served one another. 
And what came from that union was commitment, companionship, and cultivation. So there was a commitment there. It said, therefore, a man shall what? Leave his father and his mother. So there's a commitment there to joining together as husband and wife. There's also companionship. It said he shall hold fast to his wife. So there's a permanence there. You're abstaining from all others to stick and stay with the one that God has given you. And then, of course, uh, there's cultivation. There's one flesh going on there. There's this union that binds husbands and wives together, and it requires a certain level of cultivation. And the result of that commitment, that companionship, and that cultivation is that they were naked and they were unashamed. Sin had not come in yet. It had not obscured what was going on in their marriage and in their lives so that all of these things could be fulfilled. But what we also know is that commitment, companionship, and cultivation, it doesn't just happen, right? It's not like popping popping something in the oven, just setting the timer, backing away, walking away, and then coming back. The bread has risen. Everything's cooked. It's ready to pull out of the oven. It's ready to drop on the stove. And And you're thinking like, Ron, you've never really cooked have you like at all one day in your life? Um, Yeah, that's true. So for the next two weeks, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at, given that, given that, that commitment, that companionship, and that cultivation, the fact that it doesn't just happen magically, what we're going to do is look at specific roles that God has given wives and husbands that he put in a particular order at the time of creation so that marriages and families, so that households could flourish if they are faithfully lived out. So this week we're going to speak to the wives, and next week we are going to speak to the husbands about these particular roles. So let's just start right in. We're only going to be looking at three verses this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 22, and this is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, and he says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So that's God's word, and that's what we are going to be looking at this morning. So there it is. There's that word that I brought up uh, in the beginning, submit. And what is happening here is that Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus about how their households should be ordered since they are now of the household of God with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 19, you'll see how he lays that out for the church as a whole. So with that in mind, submission by both the church, which we see in verse 20, and wives, which we see here in verse 22, what it is for us is a humble recognition of that order that God put into place at the time of creation. Now listen, Paul is not commanding all women to submit to all men. That's not what he says. But wives to submit, what does he say here in 22? To their own husbands. So what that means if you're single is that the kind of submission Paul is referring to here is to the Lord. is not to all men until you're married. So as a single person, you need to be submitting your life to everything as unto the Lord But what Paul is laying out here is something very specific to wives in how they need to submit to their own husbands. Now, here is what submit uh, does not mean. Submit does not mean to be forced or coerced or bullied or threatened toward compliance. That is not what Paul has 
um, when he lays out this word submit. That is not the meaning behind that word. What submit does mean is this. It means willingly putting yourself under the headship of your husband as to the Lord while recognizing the role God has given him as the servant leader of the home, which he established in the garden when he created Adam first to establish this order of the household. So it is willingly putting yourself under the headship of your husband. Now, when you look down at verse 30, uh, 22, what's interesting for us is that Paul doesn't just stop after he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. That's the message. Close the Bible. We're hitting the cafe. Like, let's eat donuts. Like, he doesn't do that. Submission is pointing to something far more beautiful as it distinctly mirrors Christ and how he submitted himself to the Father without ever being, listen to this, without ever being less than God or less than the, the Holy Spirit, right? Let me turn my page here. So with Christ as our model, this is what we see about the word submission. Submission cannot mean inequality or inferiority because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what are they? Well, they are equal. They're equal in essence, they're equal in person, but they are different in role. So what we understand from this text and other texts that feed into this is that different doesn't mean less than. It means what Paul points out to here in chapter 4, verse 24, when he says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So that's what Paul is driving at here as he is encouraging women so this is how we define submission here as we attempt to, again, redefine our marriages according to God's word. And verse 22 also provides not only what the wife is supposed to do, but the motivation of the wife. He says, as to the Lord. And this is key and is the reason why I didn't call the message, you know, five ways to submit without throwing a fit. You know, like we didn't, we didn't try to do something clever here with this. That's why it's called as to the Lord or as unto the Lord. There has to be something bigger than submitting, right? I mean, do we understand that there, there has to be something bigger, more ultimate than submitting in and of itself, doesn't there? Because if not, it's like what we said last week about marriage. If we concentrate, if we put our focus and effort in having better, more flourishing marriages all on marriage, then we're making marriage our God instead of putting our focus on the God who created marriage and then wants our marriages to flow out of that affection and that obedience that we have as we are growing in our sanctification towards him. A good example of submitting as we talk about it here as to the Lord is actually the story of, of Esther uh, in the Old Testament. Now Esther uh, became the Jewish wife of this Persian emperor. It's a crazy story. And at one point she stormed into the king's court uninvited, which was like a no-no, like you don't do that. You only walk into the king's court when the king says, walk into my court, right, until he invites you, right? So she marches in the king's court uninvited because she found out that her people were in danger, and she walked in there, she stormed in there as a way to help save her people. Now, Esther's first call was actually to submit to God in all things. So when she saw that her people were about to become victims of genocide, which is what was happening in this story, she submitted to God first, who then softened the heart of the emperor and her people were ultimately saved. So wives submitting to husbands as to the Lord means that this is something bigger. It means that they should never agree 
to anything that breaks God's laws. You are not called to that as a wife who's called to submit to your husband. You're never called to break God's laws. You were never called, listen, to stay in abusive situations, ever. You are not called to remain silent when your husband is exhibiting sinful patterns of behavior. That's not what this means, okay? So wife's motivation for submitting to her husband is that it's the way in which she serves Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking at here. And the reason is found in verse 23, if you look down, which is because God has placed husbands at the head of their wife, which again finds its example in Christ, who is what? The head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now let's square something up right here. The husband is not the savior of his wife the way that Christ is the savior of the church. So we need to make sure that that's clear. On the contrary, his call, the husband's call, is to mirror Christ by loving and serving his wife as Christ loves and serves the church, okay? So now, for those of you who know my wife, I'm talking a lot about my wife today. Um, man, Melissa is just an extremely bright woman. She, I know she just looked down when I said that. Um, uh, she reads like a nerd, um, and she retains, retains uh, I mean, she retains knowledge like no, I mean, she retains knowledge like the hard drive on my Mac, right? Like nobody I've, I've literally ever seen. She has way different giftings than mine, and, and they far exceed mine, um, if I'm being honest, in, in many areas. But God has given her a role to willingly come under the role God has given me, which she executes almost perfectly. Like, not, like 79% of the time, I'm joking right now. Um, for sure. The, the reason why I actually, though I say that, uh, I'm, you know, I'm being a little flippant right now, but the reason why I actually, more than being flippant, I shudder when I say that is not because I'm scared, because I literally just in front of you said, well, it's Melissa's role to come under the role that God has given me. No, that's what it says, okay? That's what it says. That also means that I have a particular responsibility, which is why when I read something like that, I shudder, right? Because I'm sober, it sobers me as the husband, given the responsibility God places on my role as one who's called to lead and serve her in a way that will lead to her joy and flourishing, and one that Christ is looking down on me, commanding me to fulfill. Okay? Again, we're going to get into that a little bit more next week. So Paul charges wives to voluntarily submit to husbands with their submission to the Lord as their motivation. And then he gives them the reason in verse 23 by pointing to the role given to husbands as head. And then he says in verse 24 that a wife's submission is grounded in the way the church submits to Christ in everything. So this is how Paul grounds what he's talking about. And this is what makes this kind of submission that we're talking about safe. This is what makes it safe even in the culture that we live in, even more so given the culture that we live in, which is important because we automatically think, I need you guys to listen to this, we automatically think subordination of any kind must mean exploitation and oppression. But the kind of submission Paul is referring to is not synonymous with tyranny or inferiority, as we're seeing, because it's grounded in Christ's leadership and headship over his church and the church's submission to Christ. And Paul lays out what this looks like all through the book of Ephesians. We went through the book of Ephesians as substance. 
a few years ago, but he lays this all out through the entire book. He says things like the church is the new covenant, the new community covenant of the new kingdom, growing and progressing in holiness as Christ indwells their hearts, he says, living by standards and values that please the Lord as they comprehend the greatness of his love while receiving the grace to live it out. This is just the natural byproduct of everything that he has called the church to be and to live out as his new community. So given this truth, given that truth, everything that Paul has been leading this church up to understanding and knowing, given this truth, wives are to submit in everything it says to their husbands. So just in case you thought there was like a few things that he was really going to nail down, but then the rest, you know, we're good with. No, no, he says everything. Again, like I'm, you know, again, there could be a little bum rushing going on right now after I even say that, but he says it right here. He says everything to their husband. But another way of saying that, okay, just so that we understand it and we interpret it correctly, another way of saying everything is every area of life. In the same way, the church submits herself to Christ in every area of life. And what this is meant to lead to is is unity in a marriage instead of autonomy in the marriage, which is what we see when marriages start showing cracks, right? Right? The motivation for doing this, again, is found in verse 20 when Paul urges, if you look down in 20, he urges all believers to submit to one another. Why? Well, out of reverence for Christ. So again, it's always pointing to our motivation. It's always pointing to our reason. And and the reason for that is because the Bible isn't like a shopping trip to Ikea, right, which many of you have done since they built the new Ikea in Columbus, but, it, but the Bible is not to serve us like that, where it's just this, this, this sort of grab bag of choosing whatever fits our style, whatever fits our personality, whatever fits our culture and our lives at that particular moment. Everything in God's Word fits. That's what we have to understand about something that we read from God's Word as an imperative or a command. Everything in God's Word fits, so we must conform every area of our lives to God's Word. We don't form God's word around what we want, around what we desire, what seems right to us. It's just the opposite. So what are some takeaways then for us here as we look at these three short verses? Because the voices in your head that might be raging in your heart with these kind of thoughts are probably things like this. Number one, that's just never going to happen, Ronnie. That's just what you're talking about. It's just never going to happen. Maybe you as a wife have developed a bit of a hard-heartedness when you read through passages like this. Or maybe you think, man, I, I see what you're saying, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid because what you just described to me sounds like I'm giving up control. It sounds like a loss of control. Or three, man, I, I, I want to, but I, I, don't know, I don't know how. I don't know how to do what you're describing. I'm, I'm confused Um, Again, it's okay if these verses stir up some angst inside because they've been either misunderstood or they've been misapplied in your life from husbands, fathers, churches who have taken these verses and they've distorted them horribly. So I want to, again, acknowledge that. But here's what we're going to see is that when they're applied the way God gave them to us back in the garden, when he designed his order for marriage and the household, a particular beauty unfolds in a wife's heart that the Lord finds precious. Because what we learn from this passage is that submission, number one, is an act of unity. It's an act of unity. 
I'm going to read a quote from an author writer named Liz Wan, and I think she summed this up really beautifully, talking about marriage being an act of unity, most specifically when a wife is submitting to her husband in every area of life. She says this, Neither husband nor wife should be independent and autonomous. This is not how unity is achieved in marriage or in any other relationship. A husband's headship means that he first is responsible for the care of his wife. He is oriented towards her with sacrificial love. Then she goes on to say, with this in mind, marriage is more clearly seen for what it is. Not a hierarchy, but a choreographed ballroom dance. God has designed the choreography for every husband and wife, but each dance will vary. The man will lead, the woman will follow. Sometimes they will step on each other's toes. Sometimes the woman will need to gently guide the man toward what to do next to lead the dance. And the man will need to lovingly lead her toward how to respond. They both bend and flex for the other in order to achieve the unity needed for the dance to be beautiful. And then she finishes this by saying, sometimes the husband leads by deferring to his wife. Many times he lovingly covers her sin. And when the husband is not seeking and listening to his wife's heart, the wife should not idly accept this. She must speak the truth in love to him and then graciously forbear with her husband in his weakness. Man, I just thought that was such a beautiful picture as we unpack what this word submit is really supposed to mean to those who are living as husbands and wives. So submission is number one as we look through this text. It's first, it's an act of unity. Secondly, it's an act of trust. This is an act of trust as we read these words, as we read every word in Scripture, regardless of how it hits us, regardless of how we struggle with it, any time that we seek and strive to obey God's word, it's an act of trust that the words that we're going to obey are going to result in some sort of ultimate blessing because they're being obeyed. Whether we understand, whether we see the end of it or not, that's trusting God. Some of you think, man, I, I don't know how to submit. Like, man, my husband is passive, and if I don't do the things I do, man, our house is going to, like, burn down, right? But God is asking you trust him as you submit these as you submit to your husband i mean is not all of this an act of trust in the lord to act even if your husband is not trusting the lord isn't that the call turn with me to first peter chapter 3 you want to make a right and go to first peter we're going to see how peter encouraged the wives in his letter he was writing to a culture where women were not treated very fairly and many times had come to Christ and were now living with unbelievers, and they needed some instruction. They needed some instruction of how they were supposed to live with their husbands. So 1 Peter chapter 3 says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Then he says in verse 3, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Again, he is not, he is not, uh, he's not saying women do not strive to beautify yourselves. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying don't let that be the main emphasis of your heart. But he said in verse 4, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very 
precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. A quiet and gentle spirit is what Peter tells us is precious in God's eyes. You might think, Ron, you don't understand. I have this dude who doesn't care if I submit one way or the other. Or you might say, he demands that I do and then neglects me anyway. Or, and he makes me feel like anything I do, even verging on submission, uh, is never good enough for him. So here's my encouragement to you. And I have to hold myself back from speaking a little sharply to the husbands who are engaging in this kind of ungodly behavior. If you're hearing me with that, without raising my voice too much. But here's my encouragement to you women. God sees you. God has not forgotten you. You hold a valuable place, it says here, in his eyes as one that he holds precious to himself. See, submission never makes a wife less than. It models a willingness to give Jesus lordship over everything in your life as a wife. And in fact, it's a kindness that God sanctifies women by calling them to do the very thing he called his own son to do. Let that rest upon your soul for a little while. Number three, submission is also an act of humility. In James chapter 4, 6 through 7, uh, James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, is what James says. Now, what we know is that this is impossible to live out, according to James here, apart from God's grace. None of you guys have any way of accomplishing this on your own as a way that pleases to God, as unto the Lord, without God's grace. Which again, what do we know about God's grace? What is it? It's his unmerited favor that provides you with his desire and strength to live out what the world declares is impossible. Because what we're talking about right now is something that the world declares literally just an abomination to all of their values, right? But what we see here is that God gives you grace to live these things out. And not only that, but he gives you the desire and the strength to do it. Because here's what we know about the world. The world is fighting for an equality that, man, they will never have. Man, if you hear any of the stories about Harvey Weinstein right now, man, we know how much that is true. The world fights for an equality that is absolutely not there because of the oppression of ungodly men. But they fight. The world fights for inequality because they fight against the God who already granted it to them at creation. Is that your fight? As a wife, is that your fight? Maybe it is. So what we have to do is remember what God says, what he speaks to us, what he encourages us to continue doing in his word as somebody who is precious in his sight as you continue to cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit before him, not as a doormat, but as someone that is first submitting to the Lord. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. You want to make another left? Go back towards Ephesians. Philippians chapter 3. Because this is what we need to remember as we wrestle, as we struggle through texts like this. Philippians chapter 3. 
I'm sorry, Philippians 2, and it says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So you see right here how how Paul, in writing to the Philippians, he's saying, I know that you look towards your own interests. It's an automatic thing that we care about ourselves, that we nurture, nurture and cherish ourselves. We learned that last week. So it's, a, it's an okay thing to look towards your own interests. But he says, also look to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which he says is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of what? A servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. What did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God is highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, it says. The issue isn't really equality when we come to passages like this, but humility, which it says here leads to exaltation. In fact, Matthew 20 through 12 tells us whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So wives, as you seek to redefine your marriage is according to God's word. You must remember that your equality is already intact and established by God who made you in his image and conforms you to the image of his son who in humility submitted himself to God by being obedient to the cross. And it's on the cross where Jesus simultaneously did what men and women are each called to do. So what men are called to do in their role, what women are called to do in their role, we see being fulfilled both those roles in Jesus Christ, which is this. He submitted himself to God, and then he laid down his life for his bride, the church, which is what we're going to unpack next week for the men. Both of those things were in place in Christ. That's why both the husband and the wife have to be doing and partaking and fulfilling these roles as unto Christ. Because the fruit of submission is salvation. That's the true fruit of of submission in Christ. That's the reward that's already been granted by Christ to all wives who submit to their own husbands as to the Lord out of a deep love and devotion for Him. So let me finish with this quote again by Liz Wan that I think really sums up what we're looking at this morning. It says this, You see, Submission is at the very heart of Christianity because if it weren't for Christ's submission to death, we would not know salvation. Like Christ, once we submit and die to ourselves, we are resurrected to new life in Him. And once we were saved by grace through faith, we must continually submit ourselves to God. And she says this, Submission is not just for wives, and it's not meant to cage us in fear. It sets us free to live with courage. So that's what obedience for the wives as God's chosen vessels that he made in equality with Adam gave them a distinct role to submit to their husbands 
in every area of life so that this order, this beautiful design that God put into place, the very beginning would be something that would allow men to flourish and women to flourish as they seek Christ together in unity, in humility, trusting God for all things. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us something that is hard but ultimately is good for our sanctification. We all play a part in what you have charged and commanded wives to do and to be. All of us play a part in that in this room. So Lord, we ask that you would prepare us, that you would uh, call us to repentance, that you would lead us down a path, Lord, where we find much fruit and we find much grace in living out these words that you've given for a way that a household that wants to flourish and be faithful you must accomplish. Help us to do that because we're weak, because we are influenced by our culture. And we do have sinful hearts that rise to the surface often to fight for things that actually we only find in you. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would lead us back to you in all of these things as we seek to continue to redefine our marriage according to your word so that we actually find life and forgiveness and hope as, Lord, you can restore and reestablish anything that has been broken by husbands and fathers and churches that have cruelly misdefined and misinterpreted passages that are meant to see women shine under good and gracious leadership. So, Lord, help us in all these things to be men that are attentive to the women that you've given us, Lord, as we humble ourselves before you, knowing we will give an answer to you, but also being able to rejoice of the privilege you've given us in this. So bless our time today as we walk away meditating, reflecting on these truths. In Christ's name we say, amen.